it was kind of the piece, the missing piece of what what's happened here and learning about the history of Australia um, and what's gone on over the last 250 years as why we don't know about these foods. And there was a big, it was, it was a significant moment that it was how can we educate Australians on the food, the culture, the history of Indigenous Australians and to share their cultural story. It has contributed to the rise and fall of civilizations, from people who have spent their lives searching for it to today's modern conveniences. Every single one of us is a stakeholder in it. G'day, and welcome to Humans of Agriculture. I'm your host, Ollie Laleve, and welcome to episode 10. Today's guest is Hayley Blyden, the founder of the Australian Superfoods Company. With a background in sports nutrition, Haley's first exposure to Australian native foods and their superfood status was while working at the North Melbourne Football Club. Discussing with players their diets during the off-season, Haley began investigating Australian native foods. Fruits like the kakadu plum, hosting 100 times the vitamin C of an orange and five times the antioxidants of blueberries. These superfoods are quite possibly the underdogs in the world of nutrition. This episode is slightly longer than most, but I don't apologise because this chat is worth every minute. From the lack of awareness of superfoods in Australia to some of the significant cultural aspects associated with native foods, this chat covers it all. With 18 products on the shelves, the Australian Superfood Co is harnessing the nutritional opportunities with the latest processes in food manufacturing, taking Australian superfoods to the world. But before all that gets moving, you better find out what they are. Welcome to the podcast, Haley. Thanks for having me. I suppose starting off, superfoods and in particular Australian superfoods is something that are completely foreign and new to me. So can you tell me a bit about the Australian Superfoods Company? Sure. I'll teach you why Australian native ingredients shouldn't be foreign to any Australian. Um, so the Australian Superfood Co launched five years ago with our range of snack bars and we launched... Um, with the goal of increasing awareness, affordability and accessibility of Australian native ingredients. So my background is a dietitian. Um, I consider myself an expert in food and I was working at the North Melbourne Football Club straight out of uni as a sports dietitian and I was hearing different foods that players were consuming and they were obviously consuming foods that would in- improve their performance. So superfoods, trying to get as many nutrients is in, in that they could per mouthful. And I started hear, hearing about different foods that Indigenous players would consume when they went back home for the pre-season. And foods that were native to Australia, foods like kakadu, plum or kwandong, foods that I'd never heard of before. And it just sparked my interest, firstly, to find out what these, what these foods were because I needed to have a greater understanding to know if they were good for you or not good for you. But then once I found out that they were some of the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet, how as Australians we had never heard of them. We had no idea what native, native foods were to Australia, are to Australia, um, and that our native cuisine isn't lamingtons and Vegemite. <laughs> um, so I suppose, yeah, the, the footy side of things is so interesting. And were, they, were the Indigenous players bringing the bush tucker, I suppose, back and, and eating it during the regular season, or was it something that they were... Nah. I don't even think that they realised that what they were consuming was superfoods. It was just, you know, when you go to Thailand, you eat a pad thai. When you go home to country, you eat what's served to you. And it's just kind of what they were used to. And so I suppose in layman's term, what is a superfood? What makes one 
what makes one food, I suppose, more superior than another? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that the word superfood is probably really overused these days. So a superfood is a nutrient-dense food. So it's a food that's jam-packed full of nutrients. Some foods you'd consider just simple whole foods like um, salmon or blueberries, they're superfoods. But then there are some that are even more superior. So blueberries are an interesting one because they're often um, foods are often compared to the blueberry because they're considered extremely healthy. Um, and so if a food has... 10 times the folate of a blueberry or five times the folate of a blueberry, then that's considered a superfood. Hi, I'm Pia, horticulture and sugar analyst at Rabobank, and I'm here to share our latest insights on Australia's vegetable market. Did you know in 2023, Australia produced over $5.8 billion worth of vegetables, though only 4.3% of this was exported. Like many other countries, the Australian vegetable industry relies mostly on its domestic market. In fact, only 7% of global vegetables produced are traded between countries. But we are starting to see that trend change. Global trade is growing at a faster rate than production, and countries with low-cost production are seeing the highest growth rates. You can learn more about trends in the vegetable market on our latest Rabo Research Australia podcast, Mapping World Vegetable Trade, or reach out to me via the Rabobank Australia social media channels to learn more. Okay, interesting. And and, and technically, so you'd need to eat less of that food to get to meet your nutrient requirements. Yeah, so it's not, I suppose, just a matter of eating more and more of the food. It's that it's the percentage within that quantity is superior. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like when you think of iron and you look at all the foods that iron is part of. Or another example is calcium, because I just remember at uni they were talking about calcium and sources of calcium that aren't dairy. And sesame seeds are a really good source of calcium. But then they said you can have a glass of milk or a whole tub of sesame seeds and you'll have the same amount of calcium. And it was like, okay, so different, different foods have different compositions and you need to consume yeah. different quantities to, get the, to meet those requirements. And I suppose, is that a, a challenge for you guys, that barrier of the generalisation that if, you just, if you're eating, I suppose, blueberries, for instance, that you're eating a healthy diet as opposed to someone who's eating more of a variety of foods that may actually be healthier because they're getting the actual right levels as opposed to just particular ingredients? Uh, I think that as a dietitian, we like to talk to, we have the understanding of the nutrients of what, what composition makes a piece of food, but I'd prefer to talk to people in terms of whole foods. And, you know, if you, if you look at your plate and you have half your plate as vegetables and they're all different coloured vegetables and then you have a quarter of your plate as a protein and a quarter of your plate as a carbohydrate, then you'd know that you're eating a rain, the rainbow because different colours represent different antioxidants, um, but also that you're meeting your nutritional requirements. So it's just about eating, eating healthy whole foods that make you feel good about yourself and make you feel like you can perform at your peak level, basically. So yeah. the, the different types of ingredients and the superfoods, uh, they vary between, say, Northern Australia and Southern Australia. Is there yeah. an area of Australia which is more prone to having these superfoods? Well, I think that different, different fruits come from different areas. And I've got a map that I can share with you. Um, for instance, Kakadu plum grows um, in WA um, and throughout the Northern Territory. David, Davidson plum, Ryberry, they grow predominantly in um, Northern New South Wales and Queensland. 
And so different fruits grow in different regions and they do have different nutrient profiles. So for instance, when they started looking into Australian natives, they were finding that due to the um, climate change, they had antioxidant properties that had never been seen in, in other foods before. So they had hydrophilic and lipophilic antioxidants, which occurred um, for survival and adaptation uh, and adapted for survival because of the, the extreme um, weather conditions in Australia. So does that, I suppose, I don't understand what the word hyperphilic meant, but is that saying that the, because they've, they've been able to adapt to that environment, they can still achieve, I suppose, the, the level of fruit? Well, exactly. So, they're a, they're a, so, they, so the plants will adapt to survive. And yep. as part of that adaptation, it has new compositions, which result in different nutrients that when we consume the plant, we benefit from. Yeah, okay. And so is the footy club your testing ground, I suppose, for discovering the superfoods? Or did you, like, once the players started talking about it, was it something that you thought, oh, I've got to get out there and, and actually go and see it for myself? Yeah, that it really just sparked my interest. It was a big aha moment. Like, how have I, I was born in Australia. I grew up in Australia. I studied nutrition and dietetics at Monash University. How did I not know about these foods as a nutrition expert? And so it really sparked my interest. And I, I, went on, I went on a trip to Northern Territory, Central Australia. Um, I bought a few textbooks and I just started learning and reading about the, new, about the different foods that are in Australia. And then, it, then that, that evolved because it never started off as a business. It was more a passion project. And, a, a, and, a, and, and I, th I think it kind of sparked my, in, my interest into Indigenous, Indigenous Australia and it was kind of the piece, the missing piece of what, what's happened here and learning about the history of Australia um, and what's gone on over the last 250 years as why we don't know about these foods. And there was a big, it was, it was a significant moment that it was how can we educate Australians on the food, the culture, the history of Indigenous Australians and to share their cultural story and, and really increase awareness throughout Australia of Indigenous Australia and of, life, of Australian life pre-Captain um, Cook. Yeah, it's such an interesting space, isn't it? Because I, I nearly feel sad in terms of our connection to Indigenous Australia and, or, yeah, Indigenous Australia and what it was pre-kind of white settlement because like, you think of what the Maoris and the New Zealands have and mm. how, how much of a part of their culture is. We've kind of wiped out that 50,000-year history and replaced it in the last 250 and we've lost, I suppose, we're, we're not utilising the knowledge that sits there in terms of our learnings for how we kind of carry that forward. So it sounds like Absolutely. you've discovered it. Well, look, I, I, I haven't Lenin. discovered it, but <laughs> I've discovered, I have learned a lot. I've learned that Indigenous culture is passed, is, an, is passed down orally, so it's not written down. So for a lot of people, if they were to just go and research, they wouldn't find the information that they're after. And that might, for a lot of people, that might mean that they think that the, the information, the knowledge, the awareness, the cultural significance doesn't exist, um, but really it, it's so, their history, their culture is so rich, but you need to build a rapport, you need to build trust within the communities for them to open up and to start talking to you about their stories and their history. And the yeah. way that they utilise food, so the way that they utilise Australian natives. And it's really talking to different, different people has changed the, the way that we offer our food. So for instance, Kakadu Plum, we always took the seed out and um, process the flesh of the fruit and then freeze dried, freeze dried it and then sold the fruit as a, as a powder. 
speaking to community, speaking to Bruno over in WA, he informed us that they actually consumed the, the seed, that they'd grind it down and they'd consume the seed. And then that backed with um, some studies that have come out of um, University of Queensland has said that, um, that the seed is actually really nutritionally dense. So that, they'd, that intrinsically they knew that they would consume the seed and it would make them feel good or it would um, you know, treat an ailment. But then when they when research is done on it, they find, yeah, it is. It's, it's really high in prebiotics. It's really high in fat-soluble vitamins. Um, so there's a nutritional aspect to that as well. And I think that so they're, the stories, they're the stories that we're trying to bring to Australians, that we want to, so to increase awareness of the flavour profiles, of the nutritional benefits. And that's taken us on our journey where we first launched with a range of snack bars. And the reason that we did that was because we we recognise that the flavours are quite unusual and that if you're used to eating, you know, peanut butter, peanut butter flavoured protein bars or chocolate and, you know, um, food that we're buying in health food stores or in um, in supermarkets today, then trying a ribery might be too unusual. So by incorporating them in a dried processed form, we could incorporate them into a healthy product, you know, obviously created by a dietitian that would start the conversation. So people would pick it up and take a bite to say, this is a bit unusual, this is delicious what is it like what am I consuming and then you know look and turn it over and see that there's Davidson plum and rye group and so how much I suppose of the business is actually making people feel comfortable with these new flavors and then I suppose the next aspect is how they actually use those ingredients in more meals and more products how, how are you guys overcoming that piece so we have been very fortunate in that we don't have to do it all ourselves <laughs> a few things all ourselves a few things that have happened since we launched. So one, Australian natives have um, gained momentum. So that's, you know, on the back of shows like MasterChef. This season of MasterChef, for instance, they have our entire range in the pantry. So contestants are able to go and use Australian natives in every dish, where in seasons before it would be, you know, one one or two episodes. They might have a celebrity chef like Ben Shorey or or Jock might be on it as a guest in a guest, in a guest appearance. Um, and he would... Um, and they have Australian natives, but now they're a staple. So, so Australians watching MasterChef every night or five nights a week and they're seeing Australian natives being used in multiple dishes. Um, we've also, well, our, our um, proposition shifted where we started with the, with the snack bars, but then we recognised that we didn't have the marketing power to really increase awareness in the way that we wanted to and to start the conversation in the way that we wanted to. So we started looking to other brands and supplying ingredients to other brands so that larger companies would start the conversation and would continue the conversation. So one of our first customers was Remedy Kombucha and with their cherry plum incorporated Kakadu Plum. Um, the Kakadu, and the Kakadu Plum there, they had their nutritionists talking about why they chose Kakadu Plum over other plums. And obviously there was the cultural aspect, but also the nutritional aspect because Kakadu Plum has the highest vitamin C content of any food on it. So Yeah, I, saw, so I did a, a bit of Googling on that. Isn't yeah. that... I can't even remember what the stat was. I'll have to get up on my computer. Isn't it like it's thousands or hundreds of times more than yeah, just an average orange? Uh, uh, yeah, 100 times more than an orange. Yeah, our vitamin C powder has 8,300 milligrams of vitamin C per 100 grams. Oh, I just want to take a step back because there's obviously the, the retail side, but in terms of actually sourcing the products and the people side of your business. But what is the actual process and... What's happening out there for them to actually be able to start the process of farming or, or growing? So um, we work. We we work with currently. We're working with indigenous farmers and also farmers that have been 
growing Australian ladies for a long period of time. So we, when I first started the business, I had the vision of only working with Indigenous communities or Indigenous farmers and quickly realised that for many of the products that we currently sell, they weren't available in commercial quantities um, strictly through um, those sources exclusively. So we currently source 100% of our kakadu plum is wild harvested um, through Indigenous communities, um, a large percentage of our wattle seed, some of our Davidson plum. But then we also have really strong relationships and these have been built over the last seven or eight years since we started the discussion of Australian natives, so not necessarily since we launched the business, to, to strengthen our supply chain. Because it's to date, it's, and, it's, it's, and it remains to be quite a fragmented industry. So you might source, there might, you might be sourcing one fruit off a hobby farmer that's only, you know, he's down at his farm every couple of weeks and he's got someone that looks over it. Or you might be, you might be sourcing off someone who's inherited a Kwandong farm from his, from, his fam, from his parents. And, you know, for generations, this Kwandong farm seen in the business that I haven't even known. They don't know why they grow Kwandongs or what the cultural significance of Kwandongs are. Um, so while, the, while it is quite fragmented, we've now been around for a while. We've developed trust with, with communities, with farmers, um, and so that they that we've got quite a, a solid foundation and it's a part of our business that we're continually working on so we're about to launch our native harvest initiative and the idea behind that is that we recognize that larger brands are wanting to incorporate Australian native ingredients into their products and our our brand premise is built on the fact that we're going to have a consistent supply, a consistent product for, um, for industry so that you're not going to get a product on the shelf at Woolies and then, or, or Coles or Woolies, and then you'll get a call saying that, sorry, Ryberry's out of season or sorry, we can't get Davidson Plum. And the reason that we, have, the way that we offer that is by, um, by processing the food. So we, we process our, our fruits and herbs, either we dehydrate them into a typical dried product or we freeze dry them to maintain the nutritional value and the colour, or we extract them. So we have liquid extracts, which then can be incorporated into beverages, into ice creams, into a range of products. But by having a processed product, we can guarantee quantity of supply and quality of supply. And so is the Kakadu plant, this might be a really stupid question, literally you could walk up to the tree or the bush it grows on, pick it and eat it raw in the bush there? Like, can you? Exactly. Okay. And so I suppose... That's how traditionally it's been consumed. But now mm -hmm. there's that, I suppose, a value-added process nearly for these communities where exactly. you guys are, are working together. So exactly. what is the, the Native Harvest Initiative? So the Native Harvest Initiative is designed to increase supply. So to work with our current suppliers, be it Indigenous communities or local farmers, or to work with new farmers to start diversifying or repurposing their crops um, in order to plant native produce. Uh, we've had we've only had conversations to date, but we're working with agronomists and propagators um, to to utilise their skill set so that we can approach um, farmers and offer them um, services services that might include you know um, an analysis of soil crop development, um, practical aspects in terms of looking at their farm, seeing you know how the sunlight impact will impact the crop, how their water will impact the crop, um, and offering them advice as well as offering, supplying the um, cultivar so that they can plant the specific crops. And we, the reason we're so excited by this is not only because it will mean that there's more supply of the product, but because we're working so closely with our customer base um, and we, in, for many of our customers are developing the products for them, we're able to influence what, um, what 
produce they want that they that they should be farming because the demand is there on on the market side. So by by having by by working with farmers and working with suppliers, we're able to grow a crop that we know is needed that there's a demand for in the market. And are you guys finding gaps along the way with like with agronomists, for instance? That is there is there a fundamental gap in the knowledge of how these trees grow, or or is that where you're tapping into the traditional means of, of the wild growing product? Well, so the so the native harvest initiative is is the the most work that we see. The most challenging aspect is working with farmers that have never harvested um, traditional crops. One real success story that we've had so far is working with a um, an indigenous farmer in South Australia. He has been growing spring onions for a while and supplying the majors with spring onions. And he decided that he wanted to flip his crop and just plant exclusively native produce. And so working with him, we're able to, he, he has traditional, he's got a farming background, he has traditional knowledge and he knows what, what will grow well in his area. He's also testing. So there's what grows traditionally in, you know, lemon myrtle, for instance, traditionally comes out of Byron Bay, but it's thought that it would be able to grow, or the Byron Bay region, I say Byron Bay because that's one of our suppliers is from Byron Bay, but um, it, it has the potential to grow all over Australia. So he's testing growing lemon myrtle in South Australia as well. So I think the agronom what we've found with the agronomists is that they have the they have the knowledge of the land. They understand. They can look at the they can analyze the soil for its nutrient composition. They can analyze different aspects. They can, and then they can um, advise based on what their findings, what would what suits what regions. Um, so I think it's it's quite scientific. And at the same time, they can grow the cultivars. So our propagators can take from different partner seeds from different crops to produce a certain outcome, like say a juicier berry. Or in some instances, it might be that you're looking for colour rather than flavour. And so you're going for a really red Davidson plum. Um, so we can kind of be selective in the way that we plant to have a specific outcome. And it's working with the, look, I've got a nutrition background. So it's working with the agronomists and propagators to have those outcomes because I have no idea. And then, and then, <laughs> and then, it's also, yeah, exactly. And it's the agronomist also being able to come in if there is an issue with the crop and to, and to give advice on what's going on. So, if there was a pest issue or if something was going on, that they'd be able to come in and offer those services. So, it's really assisting farmers that have never grown native produce before the whole way through. Yeah, cool. So, my next question is actually around how many different types of native like plants there are. I suppose a stat that, her, that sparked my interest was that I heard the other day, there's something like 350,000 plant species, 80,000 that are edible, but humans cultivate 150 of these. But of that 150, there's something like 30 plants make up more than 95% of our calories. So wow. how many different yep. varieties? Have you, have you heard so, that fact or? Um, no, and I'm assuming that's worldwide, yeah? Yeah, yeah, that's worldwide. Yeah, so. Yeah. so in Australia, there are 5,500 edible plants. And we currently are offering, oh, we've just added another five, so we're currently offering about 18. Yeah, wow. And that's, oh. we've, we've actually just launched that. So because we don't want to let our customers down and we understand that the industry seems to boom every decade and two key factors have limited, have limited um, market growth and it's been lack of consistent supply and lack of consistency of product. So we've already touched on the consistency of product with the way that we process it to ensure that each batch that they receive is going to be very, very similar. Um, consistency of supply is something that we take very seriously. And that's why we've chosen our core 
product range. So it started at seven, it's now 13. And now with our, our limited edition range, it's now 18. But our limited edition range came around because we were working with Indigenous communities and they might have been supplying us with, say, Kakadu plum. And they'd say, look, we have an abundance of bush apples. And an abundance to you know, one community might be a tonne or it might be five tonnes. But we understand that if we're going to go to a, a large multinational company and try and push an ingredient, we need to know the types of quantities that would need for them to be able to, to guarantee supply. And so we recognise that there's this bounty of produce out there. And it's, you know, like what you're saying, that there's 5,500 native ingredients out there. But, we, and we want to be able to offer as many of them as possible. So, you know, an additional five, it's not really tipping into the 5,500 so much. <laughs> <Yeah>. But, <laughs> but it's products, though, is a fair bit. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's, but it's also something that we can go and it, it wasn't the ideal timing to launch products, you know, amid coronavirus when no no chefs um, or uh, no restaurants are open or cafes are open. But we thought that chefs would really appreciate this, that they're always looking for, and bartenders, they're always looking for new ingredients, new ways to create a bit of excitement in their restaurants. And by, by offering them a product that's, you know, coming from a community, so it's got the backstory as well, but then also it's a new flavour that, like, because flavours become quite generic quite quickly. So something like lemon myrtle or wattle seed, they've been around for a bit of, for a while and now you're seeing them pop up on, you know, cafe menus or across Australia, which is fantastic because it means that we're now talking about Australian natives more and that they're becoming mainstream. But high-end chefs, they're looking for something unique. And so by offering bush apples or something like that that have come directly from community, it just it has a different offering. And so it kind of it meets the, the demands of the supplier and also the customer. And I wonder on the, that lemon myrtle front, like if if it's actually clicking for people when they're sitting at a cafe and they order something that's got lemon myrtle or a, a wattle seed, for instance, are they even registering that that's an Australian native, for instance? And yeah. I dare say I'll probably lean back towards and say probably not because it's just another word on a menu, but you start well, That's that. what I was going to say. I was going to ask you because when I see it, I'm like, yay, lemon myrtle. Or if my friends see it, they think of me because we're constantly talking about lemon myrtle. But when you see it, what do you think? Yeah, I, don't, I probably, no, I don't think I would have affiliated it with natives, I don't reckon. Like Kakadu yeah. Plum, I do, but I think that's probably because of Kakadu National Park, for instance, Yeah, you just yeah. presume it's coming from up the top of Australia. Yeah. But in terms of that actual understanding, I think there's just a, there's a, across food more generally, there's a fundamental lack of understanding, let alone even with natives and what's coming out of our backyard. Yeah, and I think that that talking about the provenance of products and talking about um, the back the story behind certain ingredients might create that cultural link that we are possibly missing in Australia. And I think that looking into different cultures as to how they have really built their um, national cuisines, like if you know you look at Italy or Greece, and so much of their um, history and so much of their pride is built on their local cuisine. And how can we do that in Australia? And I think the other thing is too, like when when people are, and brands and whatnot are pushing like provenance, for instance, there's so many aspects, whether it's like provenance from a food traceability and food safety kind of aspect. But realistically, like in Australia, that it, I don't think it's front and centre in people's mind that what they may eat, aside from maybe the odd strawberry um, needle contamination, but it's mm. like provenance is actually being able to connect with that initial story, but then also everyone throughout who's kind of, actually getting it to your plate and I think that yeah. has such value and opportunity which like it I'd nearly say it's marketing 101 
And I, and I think that there's a lot of ag tech out there that is really pushing for that. So we are part of a new, I, I don't know how much information I can actually say, but I'll just give you what we've done as part of it. I won't have any, drop any names or anything like that, but there's studies going on at the moment and processes that, we're, that are trying to be implemented that they're tracing. So for Kakadu Plum, for instance, where it's wild harvested, which has that additional challenge because it's not, you know, within the confined farm space. Um, they, they want to be able to, when you buy a product, so if you were to buy a Remedy kombucha, cherry plum kombucha, that you would be able to track on that bottle exactly the community that that kakari plum has come from. So that when you kind of zap the code, um, the QR code, that it would say that the kakari plum came from the Australian Superfood Co-op who processed it, and that came from the Indigenous community, you know, the Wadair Indigenous community, um, where the kakari plum was wild harvested. And I suppose from like a like realistic point of view, like how many different communities are you working with? Or is that something that there's three or four kind of communities that you guys work with and it's nearly can be a generic one to get the ball rolling to start with? This, this year we're working with, well, we're working with, with certain touch points and they're within communities. Um, but one touch point might be working with 20 communities that are that are because it's wild harvested. So all Indigenous people can go out, they've got the permits, they can go out and pick fruit and then come to this touch point and they'll be paid per kilo for the fruit that they pick. But those communities might be, you know, they might be extremely remote communities that are then bringing the fruit into, um, and then bring the fruit in. So I'd say that I would guarantee that we're working with um, at least 10 communities. I'd say that we're working directly with um, a few thousand Indigenous Australians or maybe a thousand Indigenous Australians. Um, that are picking the fruit that's then going into our Kakadu Plum products. And is it something, you, so you just touched on the licences, is it um, only Indigenous Australians that can go out and harvest the fruit for like a commercial means? You, I don't, I thought that, that was the case. I thought that only Indigenous, and this was you know, some misinformation that I read, that only Indigenous Australians were allowed to pick and sell fruit. Um, you are only, I know you are only allowed to pick and sell fruit um, with a permit. So that you need that you, that you know I couldn't go to um, to WA and pick fruit and sell it, um, which I think is a really which is really important because it gives it means that the government has control over how many permits they give and if they are going to give to non-indigenous Australians and indigenous Australians the ratio um, of that because it's you know it's quite a you, a kilo of kakadu plum for fresh fruit sells for up to sixty seventy eighty dollars so you just want to make sure that um, and if you compare that to, say, you know, a kilo of blueberries, which are considered quite expensive, $16. Um, yeah. So you just want to make sure that the right people are getting paid and that they have the permits to be picking the fruit because you don't want, pe you don't want um, Indigenous Australians missing out because too many non-Indigenous Australians have recognised that this could be lucrative and are flocking to these regions. Yeah, I suppose that's one aspect, isn't it, where people just see the potential dollar signs and come in with completely the wrong intentions to do it. Yeah, and when it's wild harvested, it's out there. So, you know, it would, it's, it's quite hard to kind of regulate as well. So it's important that the permits are there and that they are trying to regulate it. And that when and you're purchasing a, Kakadu Plum, you know you're purchasing from someone that does have a permit. And it's such a skill set in itself, isn't it? Like the, the cultural piece of being able to go out and forage and know kind of what plants are producing what and when's the right time to harvest them. Because obviously Absolutely. it's the same as... Same as any fruit, it's got a, what, what's the like window for when you could get So different, different, period, different 
timing is different regions in Australia. So we've passed the WA season. The WA season's from about December to March. And then the Northern Territory season is from about April. And this year we're expecting fruit into July. Yeah. And have you got one kind of moment from a trip or, or something that stands out as like a, a real turning point or eye-opener for you around like when you realise like just, I wouldn't even say the opportunity, but I suppose the significance of the native food industry? I think it's, it was more, I remember my first trip to the Northern Territory and it was more the connection to the land. So we're driving, to me, it just looks like a dirt road and just bush everywhere. And that the women that were in the car were able to tell me, you know, this is men's territory, so we can't go pick fruit there. This is women's territory, so we can go pick, pick fruit there. Just understanding the land and knowing when they should be picking, when they shouldn't be picking. Also talking to them about how they pick, so they don't just take all the fruit that they can get, which, um, you know, in terms of in terms of finances, makes sense because you want to you're getting paid per kilo, so the more fruit you pick, the better it is for you. But they understand that if they pick all the fruit, then there won't be fruit next year. So they have to leave fruit for the land. They have to leave fruit. They leave fruit for the animals. They like they understand that that it's an entire ecosystem. And if if anyone's greedy or if anyone's doing it the wrong way, then there'll be issues. And in addition, that same kind of car ride, we were out picking fruit. It, literally, it's just a bucket and you're picking fruit off the trees. Um, and we got back to the community um, or the city centre or the town, the town centre and they, one of the girls had lost her phone. And, she, and I was like, it's gone. Like, there's no way you can find it. Like, we're just out in the middle of nowhere. She was out and back in like 10 minutes. She knew exactly where it was. It was just kind of like... She just knew the land. She knew exactly where they had gone picking and where they would go picking in the future, even though there weren't signs saying two kilometres to Kakadu's farm. <laughs> so is it something you, I suppose, some, somewhere down the track that we might see plantations of Kakadu plums, for instance, or do you think it will, the industry? Yeah, will... look, it's already started. Um, there's, there's two elements to that. So... It started and it started within community, which is fantastic. That Indigenous communities are start they they recognise the opportunity and they're plant they're um, establishing plantations. Um, for some reason, and this has been work that other people have done along the journey, they have not been able to replicate the same vitamin C composition in cultivated versus wild harvested fruit. So I think that that's going to be an ongoing struggle. That um, I, I don't quite understand why in you know, the same environment they could have taken clippings from the same trees but that they're going to have to, in order to guarantee a certain vitamin C level, which customers on the other side require, if they're going to be making vitamin C claims, um, they'll need to work through that. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's, oh, I'd have to, I think it was Howard Shapiro. So he was from Mars. I don't know if you met Howard. We did. When he was out. Oh, did you? He's cool, isn't he? Yeah. We had, um, as part of the Seeds of Change Accelerator, we had, um, we had like a one-on-one -on -one session with him where we got the opportunity to practice our pictures. Oh, really? He's such a cool dude. But he was talking about, and it's one of these things that it's nearly like the simple aspects of anything. When someone points out kind of the simplicities of it, it really stands out. And he was talking about how the mindset has been to grow more and more and more food as opposed to grow like more nutritious food. And so it's mm. like this imbalance we create. Like, yes, we, we need to feed more mouths, but it's actually not just creating more food. You have to create the right food for it. Mm -hmm. And I think like, that is, was such an interesting kind of simple phrase that he said. Absolutely. And you see it also in the way that, that people are farming these days, that, you know, using, using fertilisers, using pesticides in order to grow more of what may not naturally grow in a certain area. 
And that's one of the really exciting things about the Native Harvest Initiative, that we know that Australian native crops require less pesticides, no pesticides, no fungicides, less water. So one, they're more economic to grow, they're more environmentally, environmentally sustainable. And from a retail perspective, they, you, they reap, you know, they demand in excess of double the value of non-native produce. So you might be growing blueberries, as we said before, for um, $18 a kilo, where you might get $35 a kilo for, for a kilo of blueberries that will grow in the same climate on the same farm. So if a blueberry yeah. farmer was wanting to diversify, you know, give a few acres to start with um, to plant blueberries, and then that might grow from there. And so that's as part of the Native Harvest Initiative, that's what you guys are pushing. Is it trying to get the farmers on board as well, or is it more you, you're seeing it kind of organically happen as no, people come it's across? definitely trying to get the farmers on board. So we've had a few conversations um, where we, we, I just, we gave a talk at a farmer's market and there were the farmers that were listening were like, oh, I've got, you know, a couple of acres that I'd love to play around with, or I currently um, have cattle and I could give, you know, one area of our farm to planting natives because we don't need such, we don't need so much space. Um, so it's something that I think farmers are interested in diversifying and often they'll have a bit of land that they're not currently using. So they're happy to test the market a little bit. Um, and then once they've tested it, they see that it can be a lucrative, it can be lucrative, it might be easier to um, produce, then they might decide to flip more of their farm. And is it something that I suppose, is, are they very slow growing and slow maturing products or do they adapt fairly quickly? Different products. So trees obviously take longer to grow. So the fruits like so quandongs, ribberies, um, they could take up to five years to fully mature. But, but some of the plants like, you know, the lemon myrtles or um, more, the more leafy products, you could have a harvest within 12 months. So something that we're really pushing is that, um, that you, could, might have, um, you might have multiple, multiple crops growing on, in one area. Yeah. And they could, they could have different benefits as well. So you might, ha you might plant saltbush because it will, you know, it, you'll be able to see some revenue within a few months. But then you might also plant some trees along the edges because that'll help with the environmental impact. Like, you know, if you're exposed to, say, a lot of wind, um, but then you'll also have some different crops that are growing at different times of year. Yeah. So what's the most satisfying part of, like, your job with dealing with all these different people from the communities to the retailers? Like, yep. You've got your hands in so many different baskets. Yeah, and, and so I, I think that there's, there's both sides. Like one of the most rewarding things that we've seen is when working with his Indigenous farmer and seeing that he had a profitable, profitable business selling spring onions and that he'd flip his entire farm straight away to native produce. That was really exciting. I think it showed a, 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 sense, a sense of the times and that people recognise that, that this can be lucrative as well and that this it's so much more meaningful perhaps for certain people to grow certain products over others. On the other side, it's really exciting walking down the supermarket aisles and seeing Australian natives start to penetrate the food, the food system, that, you know, the story's getting out there, that people are interested in Australian natives, they, they like the flavours, they're, they're wanting it. It might be the flavours or it might be the nutritional composition that people are recognising that Australian natives, there's something there. And so uh, do they have, yeah, is it an Australian market for these products initially or is there real potential there for Australian natives to be a powerhouse globally in superfoods? So we're currently, we, our strategy is fully targeted towards the Australian market. We feel that if Australian natives aren't recognised within Australia, then, you know, what are we doing? Um, that we need to shift that discussion, like we said, from Lamington and Benjamite to Kakadu Plum and Kwandong. But at the same time, without focusing on it, about 30% of our revenue is exports, and that's just from orders coming in to, our, to the business. 
So there is, there is interest there. There is demand there. Um, and I can only imagine once the industry starts focusing on exports, what that will mean. Yeah. And do you guys have like, is there many other players in the native food space or are you guys kind of one of the key ones or... or um, I think that we 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 have kind of so native foods have been around for a long time and there have been different businesses that have been playing in the space for a while. Many of them have been or most of them have been supplying um, food service with fresh produce, um, so restaurants with fresh produce. We have entered into a new space where we're focused on processing products into or minimally processing because I think processing gets a bad name these days, but minimally yeah. processing produce into shelf-stable products that have the guaranteed quality and quantity. And I think that that's a bit of a new, a new space and that focusing on um, food and beverage manufacturers, um, food service, so offering a different, um, a different product, airlines, hotels, um, cosmetic manufacturers, that's kind of where we're sitting at the moment, which is it's working for us and it's helping to tell our story and get the word out there. In these communities that are still that are, that are on the ground doing the the harvesting for you are they still eating like a, a fairly indigenous native kind of diet or have they moved more towards a, a westernized style which includes the higher processed foods like what yeah what is, what is their their the diets have definitely shifted towards a highly processed diet and it's you walk through and i think that that's changing and they're they're um, very aware of that and i think the elders are in particular aware of the health implications of a highly processed diet um, but it's it's a piece that's changing slowly, and it's it's. I'm not sure if it's linked to supply, if it's because the produce isn't there, um, or if it's because they they're opting for sweeter products, which you know we all know it's so easy to get addicted to delicious sweet things. And so it's yeah. an education piece, it's a supply piece, and it's a work in progress. Yeah, cool. If you think Kakadu, so Australian natives are very low in sugar naturally. And the indigenous diet was very low in sugar. They, you'd, if we consume, if you were to consume a fresh kakadu plum, you'd think it was quite sour. Um, okay. Kakadu plums were their sweet treats. Yeah, right. Okay. So that's how far the diets changed and evolved. Yeah. Yeah, sure. On the on the product side, so you've got the yeah. eighteen yeah. products. Is that something that that you guys are sourcing, or do you have, um, yeah, people coming and knocking on your door and going, well? Here's another one of these, one of 5,000. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of both. We have one resource that's allocated to that. So one resource that's constantly calling communities, trying to find, because it's such a fragmented industry, I'm trying to find hobby farmers, trying to find larger farmers, anyone interested in growing. Um, and then we also have people that, to come to us. So we're currently redeveloping the website and that's a big part of it is um, our growers section, which we'll talk about the Native Harvest Initiative, but we'll also give farmers an opportunity that might currently be growing or just want to have a chat, um, the opportunity just to get in touch. Is there, I suppose, aside from various forums and whatnot happening, is there is there a Facebook group for um, Yeah, you, like can, you can go to, well, there's Aus Superfoods. So ossuperfoods.com.au yep. is our website and at Aus Superfoods is our handle for Facebook and Instagram. Sorry, the website and, was Aust Superfoods. Yeah, so A-U-S-T superfoods.com.au. Yeah, cool. Okay, awesome. And I suppose, so what's what's next for you guys? What's the the next product that, if you can talk about, maybe, yeah. Yeah, maybe on the horizon? So we have, we um, one product that we didn't really touch on is our vitamin C booster, which is interesting. It was, it was part of the export conversation, I suppose. But we, last year, we saw an influx of orders for um, our high vitamin C based products. So 
kakadu plum, finger lime, desert lime. We had an influx of orders. And at a time when the fruits weren't in season, the fruits tend seem to predominantly be in season in the warmer months. So from um, Jan or December through to about into like June. Um, and so it was at a time when the fruits weren't in season and we did some research and was into, into a particular market um, into South Korea. And we found, we did some research into why, why these high vitamin C products are being sought after. And we found that the, um, the air pollution is quite high in South Korea and that vitamin C products have been proven to help with upper respiratory problems and to reduce the, um, the duration and the severity of colds and flus. And so we I did a bit more research into it and identified that certain nutrients, when combined, they actually have a bigger effect on, um, on immunity than just vitamin C alone. So in order to make the product go further at a time when it was, there was limited supply, but also to really meet the... Um, the challenges that this community was facing, we launched our vitamin C booster, which is a combination of kakadu, plum, single lime, and also prebiotics and probiotics. So prebiotics and probiotics, the combination of those three nutrients has been proven to um, reduce the severity, but also to um, boost immunity for upper respiratory health. So that, that was launched, and that was launched in quite a hurry because we recognised um, the need for it then and there. But that has... Um, led to a couple of things. So one was it led us into bushfire season in Australia, the 2020 bushfires, um, where we suddenly started seeing air pollution being a, a, an issue in Australia, which we kind of haven't seen ever before. Um, and then also now into COVID, where um, upper respiratory health is also, again, a, a serious issue. So there was a period there where toilet paper was going crazy, but we couldn't get enough of our vitamin C booster either. But on the back of that, we've got a couple of new products that we'll be launching soon that, um, that will fill out our, our nutrient booster range a bit further um, that are also meeting the, the demands of certain populations. And in addition to that, we'll just be constantly looking at different ways to offer native ingredients in different, um, in different formats. So, yeah, I think it's just a bit of a watch this space, but we've got, a lot, we've got quite a few ranges in development at the moment, which is really exciting. Yeah, I was going to say when you started talking about the like upper respiratory solution uh, or like benefits to it, it was like straight away COVID. But yeah, right, we got it's there. Nearly, <laughs> it's nearly bad that I'd forgotten. Well, not forgotten, but it, this the bushfires which were only five months ago. Yeah, I know it's completely. crazy. And I, you know, I think the people that have that lived through the bushfires are probably feeling that way as well on the back of COVID. Oh, fire! It's insane, isn't it? I was actually it ties back to what you were saying earlier. I was on a call the other day with the Australian Rural Leadership Foundation and they were talking about like the Indigenous community's response to uh, coronavirus. It wasn't around, like they responded very quickly to protect the elders, but it wasn't from purely just like a health and that side of things. It was more so that, like you were saying earlier, that if they don't protect the elders, their culture mm. is passed down through people and so they'll lose yeah. the the connection they've got to the dream time. They'll lose yeah. all the knowledge that's stored. It's, um, yeah, it's such an incredible, incredible area that, of Australia that we just don't know Absolutely. anywhere. Near. And I think that just even the dynamics within the communities, you know, we all um, in Melbourne, we're living, we live in our house with our partner and our children. And but in these indigenous communities, they live they live in the same way, but they have they're all very close. So everyone is everyone else's auntie and uncle and cousin and brother and sister. And I think that that is that they're at high, they're a high risk, um, they're a high risk demographic, and also that they are, that the I think that the 
living in, uh, environment, living conditions would result in a, a widespread outbreak. Have you guys ever um, thought of like, is there ever an opportunity, or I suppose, I don't know if it ties into agritourism, for instance, but like actually going and experiencing a, the end to end of the Australian superfood supply chain. So actually going out and picking the fruit and I suppose getting the cultural side, but then linking it all together. Yeah, we're we're working on it. <laughs> yeah, um, we're also, cool? but it's something that Red Dust do offer. So they offer, you know, it's not into the food supply side, but they do offer trips um, for some of their major donors where you can go in and you can see, you can, you know, learn from community and you can see the way that the communities are working and and how they live and there are different experiences that you can have going over to community. So that side does exist, but tying it into the food, and I think that's why we're also speaking to Red Dust about the food side of things is a really big part because food is culture, culture is history. You know, they all link, they're all so tightly linked. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose that's like, it ties in nicely to what we're trying to do around, like trying to look at agriculture more broadly and even the people we're speaking to. It's like we've got this traditional kind of mindset of agriculture being inside the farm gate, but it's like if you actually look at the food system or fibre or whatever it is, if it's fashion, like it's, every time you're making a purchasing decision or mm. you're at a restaurant, like there's a whole story of how that food's actually got there. But if we can bring kind of the human aspect into that, then yeah. hopefully we can really draw some connections and um, just, I suppose, grow understanding and awareness of the, <laughs> the world around us, the food. Absolutely. System. And I think that COVID's almost making us do that. Like that we're almost like kind of having to reassess where we're purchasing from, what we're doing. And it's giving us an opportunity to reset, like to reset everything, our values, our values in terms of purchasing, our values in terms of family. Yeah, so I hope so. Yeah. Like it's such Something a... Something positive yeah. is going to come out of it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And so you guys are going, going well amidst it all? Yeah, yeah, we, you know, there's been a bit of pivoting, a bit of kind of um, readjusting where, you know, obviously everyone's working from home. We are, food service is obviously stopped as well, but we're trying to work with some of the chefs that we've been working with for a while and offering them samples just so they can have a play at home and see if there's anything that they want to create. Um, and just giving, because I think that people have time for the first time ever. You know, they have time yeah. to sit there and to do things that they might actually want to do. And chefs are obviously so passionate about food and to be able to play with new flavours. Yeah. I think that that plus MasterChef, we could be coming out into a world, that's, into a food world that's very different than we, than we currently know. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's chat as much as I did. I just can't get over just the guests that we're getting on the podcast and the quality and, and varying backgrounds they've got. You can find out more from Haley and the Australian Superfood Company at Oz Superfoods, that's A-U-S-T, Superfoods on Facebook and Instagram. Or if you want to discuss Australian natives or anything agriculture or people for that matter, get in touch with us at Humans of Agriculture. We've got a nifty little voicemail service on our Anchor site, that's anchor.fm forward slash Humans of Agriculture. And you can leave us a message and we'll come back to you on it. Thanks for listening.